Well, good morning to you. Thank you, and glad you're here. Hey, listen, yesterday was like a huge day for me. I've only been playing golf for just, you know, just a very few years and not really good at it. And so George Andrews in our church, who's played professionally for a number of years, invited me to play in a scramble uh, uh, to help raise money for the YWCA or, or, or whatever. And so if you don't know what a scramble is, it's, it's this. It's that, that a bunch of four, four to a team, and you kind of use everybody's best shot, and so you kind of work together. And so... But his sister, who ran the tournament, was concerned that George would put a team together with a bunch of really, really good golfers. And she told him, she said, George, you better not be stacking the deck. You better not be putting all good golfers on here so you guys win it. He says, no worries. I got my pastor going to play with us. <laughs> he, he's, not, he's, he's really not good. And so, so you know, we, we teed off on, on number one. And, and so George's sister was behind us. And so in scrambles, there's all types of contests, the longest drive, closest to the pin, and those kinds of things. And so, so you, you sign your name if you have the longest drive, and you put a stake in the ground, and then if someone beats it, they pick it up and put their name, and that's how it works, and closest to the pin. Well, unbeknownst to me, when George had the longest drive, he wasn't signing his name, he was signing my name. <laughs> Knowing his sister was behind us and would read it. And so I'm like closest to the pin and longest drive and all this stuff. And so on number 16, she noticed us and she came over, motions for George. George went over. And so she looked at George and said, George, I thought you told me that Charlie Jones was crummy. He's like winning everything out here. <laughs> so George comes back and George says, man, you're in so much trouble with my sister. I'm like, what? And so then he explained to me and I'm like, well, George, are we going to... Are we going to tell her? He goes, let's just see how this plays out. But I'd keep my distance. So, <laughs> so we won. So that was a cool deal. And so, But here's the deal of, about a scramble. A scramble is like this. A scramble is, is to where a lot of different golfers can play together with a lot of different level. And you use the best shot. And you use the best ball, in other words. And so some may be better at a long drive. And some be, may be, be better at the short game. Some may be better at putting. I was just comic relief. I just was there to keep it light. I don't, you guys didn't use one of my shots. I just thought of that. But anyway, that's personal deal. But here's the deal. The church is a lot like a scramble. The church is a body. The church is a team. The church is a group of people that have different strengths and different weaknesses that all come together to be effective for his kingdom. Rodney Dangerfield in his autobiography said that when he was a young boy, he went to his dad and said, Dad, nobody likes me. Nobody likes me at all. And he said his dad took him and grabbed him in his arms and said, Son, I never want to hear you say that again. Not everybody has met you yet. <laughs> you know, here's the deal. That if we have poor self-image, if we have poor self-esteem, we will never rise to the level that God has called us to, live, to, to be. Fact is, it's even deeper than that. If you think that if someone gets to know me, they're not going to like me, if you think that if someone gets to know me, they're going to reject me and they're not going to like me, then the scriptures would even go further and say, guess what? You will never, ever rise to your level of potential in the kingdom of what God has called you to live. 
And so we're in this series looking at this issue about surrender in the local church. And, and this morning, you're going to hear some core values for me that are just so deep for me about what I believe about the local church and the, how the local church should function because we're a body. We have different strengths. We have different weaknesses. We have different uh, backgrounds. We have different ages. And we are to complement one another. We are to work together. And so last week when we looked at this issue, we found the first step to feeling good about yourself is this understanding of who God is and surrendering to Him. And the next step, we're going to go a little bit deeper this week, and it's understand your spiritual gifts, understand your giftedness, understand what you're good, what you're good at. Watch this. Romans chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, verse 3. If not, the Scripture comes up on the screen. Here's what the Scripture says. For the grace given to me, I say to every one of you. In the Greek, that means everyone, everybody. Everyone, everyone of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves. This is important if you're, if you're a note taker, if you circle stuff in your Bible. This issue of sober judgment is very, very important to understand the context, to understand what Paul is saying here. And he says this, he says, more highly than you ought, but rather with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. The first thing that Paul says is be realistic about yourself. Understand your strengths, understand your weaknesses. You've got to understand that. Listen, humility is not thinking that I am worthless, I am no good, I am horrible, I am not good at anything. That is not what humility is. Humility is this. Humility is being able to be realistic, honest about your strengths and your weaknesses. Humility is the ability to understand there are some things I'm good at. There are some things that I'm gifted at. But also, there are some things that, you know what? I'm not so good at. The issue, the, the word sober in the Greek comes from two Greek words, to save mind. In other words, to save the mind. Sober judgment is to understand your strengths, to understand your gifts. It saves the mind. It gives you a healthier self-image, if you will. If you understand what you're good at and you can operate in your strengths or your area of giftedness, you do not want me to sing a solo. You do not want me to work in the children's area and the five-year-olds. That would not be good. I would just, I just want to be goalie. I'll just kick them back into play and, you know, just keep them from escaping or whatever. And there's some things I'm good at and there's some things that, you know what, I'm really not good at. And here's what happens when you're placed in positions, when you do things that God is not gifted, it causes you stress, you frustration. It also causes the, it also causes the body. There's nothing worse than listening to a teacher that doesn't have the gift of teaching just because they've been pressured into it or guilted into it by a church or because they were so focused on plugging holes and forcing people into various positions. And See, I find that many times people go from one extreme to the other. They either think that they're indispensable or they're worthless. They either think, you know what, I'm to the point that I'm just indispensable. Listen, let me tell you something. Not one of us is indispensable. Even if, just bizarre deal here, even if we don't do, don't operate in our area of giftedness, God's kingdom will go on. He's sovereign. He's in control. Paul's saying, learn to be realistic. Learn to be realistic about your life. Understand what you're good at. 
understand your strengths, understand your, your weaknesses. In other words, what Paul is saying, we're, we're, we're interconnected, we're interdependent. In other words, there's no such thing as long-ranger Christians. There's no such thing as Christians that are so independent that they don't need the body, they don't need the church. He said that we're independent of one another. In other words, we depend on each other. Verse 4, just as each one of us has one body with many members, these members do not all, this is important, they don't all have the same function. I was comic relief. Others were long drive. Others were short game. Others were putting. They don't have the same function. So in Christ, we who, who are many form what? One body. And each member, what, belongs to others. We're interconnected with one another. We don't have the same function. We're dependent on one another. This analogy that Paul makes about the body, that was the most common analogy for the church. It was the most common analogy that he used, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans. He continually said, the church is a body. The church is interconnected. The church is dependent upon one another. We don't have the same function, but we depend on one another greatly. And he says, oh, every believer has a different function. My function is totally different from yours. Your function is totally different from mine. But we, we're interdependent on one another. Every one of us, listen, every one of us is, is needed. Aren't you glad that we don't all have the same function? That we're not all the ear. We're not all the hand. The sad thing is, is so many churches have reduced the body down to where all they have become is just a mouth. And they talk about what they're against and boycotts and, and they judge non-believers for living like non-believers. Instead of understanding that they are, well, they're a body. In some churches, people get elected to positions not based upon giftedness, but based upon, we just got to guilt people and pressure people into positions and well, we don't do that here. We believe that you should be in a place of your area of giftedness. Paul would even say this, that every ministry may be different, but every ministry is important. Every ministry, every ministry is important. I mean, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul played out this whole analogy, and he says, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. And the foot can't say to the hand that I don't need you because they're interdependent because we, we need each other and some are bigger and more prominent than others, right? I mean, we're aware of that. I mean, I have a hand, pretty obvious. I also have a liver, not so obvious. Which one's the most important? Do you realize we have ministries working behind the scenes that you'll never see? And without them working, without them operating, I could not do what I do. This service would never happen. People would not be loved and cared for and ministered to because we're way too large for one person, for a couple of people to minister to them. And so Paul would say, every ministry is important regardless if it's big, regardless if it's prominent, regardless if you even know that it operates. And there's tremendous, listen, there's tremendous self-esteem for individuals when you understand you fit in to the puzzle that no one else can 
fit. I mean, I take that back. George and them did let me take one of my shots. He had hit like six inches from the cup. And they said, Charlie, you can put that one in. I mean, you can do that with your foot. But you know what? It still made me feel good when they all high-fived me. There's something about self-esteem that rises when you realize I fit a piece of the puzzle that no one else can fill because of the way that God has gifted me. See, and then he goes on and says, every believer has to cooperate. We're interdependent to one another, but we have to come to the point that we learn to cooperate with each other. I mean, the, the foot can't say to the hand, hand, I'm tired of you doing all the feeding. I'll stick the fork in between my toes and and feed the face. That'd be horrible. I mean, have you ever been walking and your foot kicked your other leg, your body? Absolutely not. But you know what? There's churches all the time that different parts of the body kick one another, tear each other up, destroy each other. And Paul's saying, wait a minute, this, this church is a body. This church has to has to cooperate. This church has to, man, this church has to work together. See, there's a lot of churches that just miss this whole concept of church. Christianity is not a series of lectures. That's important. Bible study and worship, that's important. But that's not all there is. I mean, we have gotten to the point to where we just feel like, you know what, it was just a series of lectures. And so we come in and we feed on God's Word and we go out. We never exercise and we come in and we feed and we go out. We never put it into action and we, we never exercise and we get larger and larger and larger to a sooner or later they just have to spiritually just push us down the aisles. Maybe that's where the term holy roller came from. I don't know. But it's more than that. I mean, it's deeper than that. The Christian life is to be lived. Inhale, exhale, the same with your body. Watch this, to where we inhale God's Word and we exhale service and we exhale and experience or exercise our gifts. Listen, if all you did was exhale with your physical body, try it, three minutes. Sooner or later, you'll black out. Sooner or later, you'll come to the point you'll take in so much oxygen you can't, you can't survive. See, the body, the physical body understands that. But spiritually, it's the same way. Spiritually, it's this. To where you're able to take in God's word, to receive what God has done for you, to, to understand what God has done for you, and then to exhale and to blow it out and to serve or to minister to people or to help people. That's where joy comes from. When, when Paul used the word gift, it comes from the Greek word charisma. Charisma in the Greek just means those that, ex that exercise or emphasize the gifts. Do you know the root word of charisma is joy? That great joy comes when we begin to exercise. Man, I've taken people all over the world for mission trips and, and even in town. You know, I've, we've had people in Span Elementary and other places, single moms, oil change. We've done battered women's shelter. We've done homeless shelters. We've been in the community. And I hear the same thing over and over when people come back. They say, I'm just going to tell you, 
I was blessed way more than they ever could have been. There was a sense of joy. There was a sense of peace that I could make a difference in someone's life. Listen, when a church loses joy is when they turn inward. And all the church does is inhale over and over and over to where they come to the point to where they almost black out in their own oxygen or whatever. I mean, if your spiritual background was like mine, I was raised at a church and, boy, we, we sang about joy. We talked about joy. We preached about joy. There wasn't much joy in the church. I mean, if you came from my spiritual background, we, we sang this song, uh, I got the joy down, I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Thank you, Trish, for the hand motions. I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart, right? So we would sing that. And so they had to put in the words, I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Where? <laughs> down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart, because none of us had it. I mean, we kept going, where is it? Because the church, man, I'm telling you, the church got to the point that we no longer exercised the gifts. We no longer got outside our four walls. It was all about us. It was a series of lectures. It was a series of fill it in the blank. It was a series of only doing what we could do for ourselves. Inhale, 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 to where we got to the point to where we almost spiritually just, man, just blacked out. And Paul is saying, oh, Paul is saying, you want to feel good about yourself? You want joy in the Christian life? It's not all about you. Understand to give your life away. Understand to exhale. Understand, listen, you know this in families, right? It's difficult in families where it's all about an individual. It's all about my happiness. It's all about what's good for me. I don't care what anybody else feels about this. I don't care if they like it or not. We know that. We know that's difficult on a team. And you will never have joy in the Christian life. I'm just telling you. He goes on and says this. Watch this. Uh, verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophecy, preaching, teaching, let him use it in accordance with his faith. If, if it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. Then watch this. This is just double affirmation for this one gift. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently because leadership is so important in the local church. He said, if you've got the gift of diligency, diligency, or if you've got the gift of leadership, do it diligently. In other words, do it with speed. That's why leaders are so criticized about you're going too fast. Slow down. Take a break. That's why leaders deal with this issue. It's just never really good enough. I mean, we've got to do more and we've got to stretch more. And then he goes on and says, if it's showing, showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And Paul gives examples of the gifts. We don't have time to go through them. We've got an entire class around this to help you understand your gift. For member is how to join our church. For life is how to do life journaling, how to connect with God. And then for ministry is you do a spiritual gift assessment. And you find out what you're good at. You find out how you've been gifted because nobody receives all the gifts. You just need to understand that. Not one of us receive all the gifts. And you know why? 
Because if I had all the gifts, I wouldn't need you. And if you had all the gifts, you wouldn't need me. And God doesn't give any one individual all the gifts because we're interconnected, because we're, we're dependent on one of the... Most Christians go their whole lives without ever knowing their spiritual gift. Just as when you're born physically, you get physical gifts, abilities. Scripture says that when you're born again spiritually, God gives you at least one spiritual gift. You know why these spiritual gifts are so important? You know why it's so important to understand what you're good at? So that when someone asks you, when someone asks you to do something in the church, without guilt, you can simply say, you know what, that's just not my gift. You don't want me singing a solo. No matter how many times Chad has asked me, I keep saying no. <laughs> you don't want me teaching in the children's ministry. And you can say no without any guilt. Watch this. Scripture teaches, God gave me gifts not for me, but for you. And God gave you gifts not for you, but for us, for me, for the body. We're interconnected. We're dependent. That's why we don't, that's why we don't pressure anyone into ministry here. That's why we don't guilt anyone into ministry. Because we believe that God is the one that chooses. God is the one that sovereignly gives gifts. God is the one that speaks to people. And Paul says there's, there's two purposes for spiritual gifts. It's in Ephesians uh, 4. says this, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. Here's the first reason. So that the body of Christ may be built up. You have been given a gift to build up the body of Christ. None of it's for you. It's for the body. The second thing is this, is, is as we go on, this is built up uh, until we all reach, here's the second one, unity in the faith. Second reason for gifts. So that the body is built up and to promote unity within the church. See, unbiblical church structure can create all kinds of chaos when you begin pressuring people into positions that they are not gifted at, that they are not good at, that you just put them in those positions because you just need, a, you just need someone breathing. And it hurts them. It hurts. Why did the church in Acts grow like it did? Because they didn't have a, a structure that limited people being placed into spiritual gifts uh, or into ministries. They understand, they, they organize the church around people's area of, of giftedness. See, there's a difference between maintenance and ministry. When a church enters into maintenance, it's just, we're just going to hang on. What do we just have to do to survive? That will never be us. When a church operates in ministry, the question is totally different, and it's this. What are the needs? What are the needs in the body? Do you realize that's how they develop ministries in the New Testament church? 
based upon needs, based upon what the community needed, based upon what the church needed. And then they would take and organize around that. See, when you have that type of structure, it allows you to more rapidly get in line with the Holy Spirit as He leads. Because you're just responding to needs. You're responding to Him. Some of the greatest ministries that we have done here was not an idea from any pastor or leader on staff. Michael Dunnigan, when he came here, he came here with a heart and a burden for prison ministry. We said, you're it. You got the gift, you're it. He got a group of men together. Every Thursday night, they go down to Walsenburg, and they're in the, in the prison. They got 30 prisoners or inmates that they meet with, and they disciple, and they teach Bible studies too, and it's just a cool deal to hear some of their stories. Jane Farnworth. Jane Farnworth was listening to Christian radio, and they were doing this thing that she had never heard of before, Stephen's ministry, and it was training in the springs. She felt led. She went up there. She went, through, she went through the informational meeting, got a little bit of training, came back, made a proposal to the pastors. The pastors got around her and said, yeah, this is something that we want to do. There's a need in our body for that. We sent a group of people, five or six people, to Texas to get certified for Stephen's ministry. They came back. And listen, that is an incredible ministry. If you've ever been in crisis in our church, you know that that is an incredible ministry because they will put people around you to help you and to, to mentor you and, and walk through you through grief or divorce or hurt or pain or whatever you're going through. Impact Ministries, great ministry that we have. We've adopted, adopted Span Elementary and Single Moms Oil Change and we've done food drives and everything else. That came out of someone. I just mentioned something in a sermon. It'd be cool to adopt a school. We had a principal of an elementary school, Span Elementary, in our service that Sunday. I don't believe in accidents. She came, came down front and says, you can, you can adopt my school. Beth Buchanan at the same time followed her up and says, that has been my dream. That is, that is who God created me to be, to be involved in that. We linked them together along with Steve and some other people in our church as leaders. And we've adopted an entire Elementary school, we've given, we gave out 321 backpacks and school supplies to every student. We've given every student hoodies. We've given, we've given food away to them. We put 30 to 40 volunteers in tutoring and everything else. Single moms all change, same deal. Remember, if you've been with us for Mother's Day, how Mother's Day is the number one day, the highest incident of domestic violence, battered women, is on Mother's Day. Number two is a Super Bowl. Uh, and, and so it's the highest attended day. We had a lady in our church that could come out of domestic violence. She learned that statistic. She went to the YWCA and some other places and says, what if I led my church to do gift baskets for moms on Mother's Day? So when they come into the shelter that you can hand them a gift bag on Mother's Day because they're probably not going to get anything and say there's a church and there's a God that loves you deeply. And we put together gift bags, sunglasses to hide the, the bruises and makeup and bubble bath and stuff that make women feel special, whatever that is. And <laughs> Good thing a group of men didn't put them together. <laughs> and you know what, I, I still hear from people in the, in the community or hear from people that talk about how much that's meant to them. And right now with, with the growth that we have going on here, it's staggering. 
I mean, you know it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's staggering. We're bringing in chairs for services and, and some people having trouble getting in. And do you realize we have more people that listen to our services on the internet than see it live every Sunday? We have well over 3,000 people that go to the internet and listen to our services. We're looking at ways right now, how do you leverage technology? How do you leverage technology? I mean, all these bad sites shouldn't control the internet. How do you leverage technology for his kingdom, for him? And let me just tell you this. We need you. If you're not using your spiritual gift within the body, without any guilt, without any pressure, we just need you. If I don't use my gift, the body hurts. If you don't use your gift, the body suffers. We know that. And everyone in this room has a gift, a gifting, to fit a piece in the puzzle. With the growth, we, we care for well over, or Becky and them care, not me, <laughs> the children's ministry for well over 200 students every weekend. Did you realize that? 200 children meet over there when we're here. It allows many of you to come uh, to worship service without being distracted. And Justin cares for our students, 6th grade through, through 12th grade. Both of them have grown to the part that they, they need about 30 new volunteers into their ministry that would come alongside of them and say, I either have a heart for children or I have a heart for, for youth. There's 20 different opportunities, some that take 15 minutes and all the way from week to week. Some that is so quick, it's just sending out a, a, a happy birthday card or sending out, we missed your card or whatever. Some things that you can do at home to some things that take a little bit more time, greet people, whatever. Uh, they're going to be immediately following the service. They're going to be in the welcome area. And I would encourage you, if you have a desire, if, you, if that's your gifting, if that's something that you'd like to do, but we desperately need people in those areas. If you'd like to be an usher, if you'd like to be a greeter, I mean, just to shake someone's hand, you'll never know what that means to people. Someone that comes in for the first time and doesn't know anyone, for someone just to stick out their hand and to, to shake their hand. And, and he, he, here's a commitment I'll make to you, a promise, is this. I've been in church all my life. Here's the problem with volunteer at church, and we all know it. If you, are, if you ever volunteer for something, either Jesus has to come back or you've got to die to get out of it. <laughs> Man, that's true. Man, I'm, just, I'm just saying. I mean, I mean, you ain't getting out of it. That's what we'd say in Texas. That Or some churches will say, well, you can get out of it as soon as you find your replacement. What kind of customer service is that? that? That stinks. So here's the commitment I make to you because one of the ways that you find out your spiritual gifts, same with me. I mean, I mean I've mean, i taught five-year-olds. That's when my wife, we did, fortunately we did it together. She said, this is not your gift. You can't come anymore. <laughs> no, I'm serious. She fired me. I mean, I've gone through the... And so some of it is, is to find out your spiritual gift, to experiment... And having a church that doesn't use guilt or pressure and say, hey, you try for four weeks and you say it's not you, we'll let you out. We'll let you out. It, we'll help you try to find another area. We'll help you. We've got people that are in ministry now that they tried six or seven different areas and we found an area for them. I get notes. I get emails all the time from people just saying, hey, thank you for... Listen, 
to the very best of our ability, we believe that we should give the authority to those that are gifted to minister to people. You're not going to have some board over you, yelling at you and griping at you. So I don't know what God's calling you to do. But I just know this, we have a need. We need in children's, we have a need in youth. Man, if you understand technology better than us and you can help us podcast and all this other stuff and leverage and that's something you'd like to do, uh, boy, come on. If you don't be an usher or greeter, come. We got over 35 ministries. We'll find a place for you. And so you can respond a couple of ways. Right after the service, you can go into the welcome area. Becky Deutsch and her team will be there. Justin McVeigh and his team will be there. Answer any questions you've got for, for students. Student ministry, you just got to like pizza. Uh, <laughs> cheap pizza. <laughs> Not the good stuff. <laughs> and uh, you can talk to them. Uh, you can let us know on the welcome card. If you'd like to be an usher or greeter, if you'd like to fulfill, maybe it's something that we haven't thought of. Some, a man met me right after the service, after the early services. You know what's been on my heart? I want to provide emergency housing. I have over 30 rent homes. I could provide emergency housing for people in crisis or people that needs to get out of a bad situation. Never thought of that. So maybe you have something that we haven't even thought of. I'm good with that. I, listen, I don't want to control the church. I don't have enough time. I do not want to control this church. This is not my church. This is his church. This is your church. And I don't want to do anything to get in the way of what he's doing here. And I want to help you to the very best of my ability to find your place.